Fedheads, you're tuning in to another episode of Cigar Chat, broadcast live around the world and picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. I'm your host, John the Cigar Surgeon. Of course, we are picked up on YouTube.com, Facebook Live now, and uh, broadcast from our home base at CigarFederation.com. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Trippy Trent. Trippy, what's going on, brother? Not much. Doing pretty good today. Uh, I mean, just not much to say. We did a show yesterday. It was fun. Ready to do another show. Raging. Of course, we have a very special guest tonight. Skip Martin from Roma Craft Tobacco. Word. Bringing it live. I wish we had like some some killer beats to kick it in, like in like you know, like some olds. Because I was I was uh, I don't know if the audience is tuned into uh, Cigar Jukebox, but first of all, you should be subscribed to Cigar Jukebox. But you did um uh, guest GJ on Cigar Jukebox a little while ago, and I just actually heard that last week, and it made me it made me want to you know pump up the tunes for the intro. Yeah, Bring it old school. Was it the Tribe Call Quest show? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. It's good times. So you, of course, uh, coming in live from uh, from Nicaragua. So fingers crossed. There's no power outages, no internet outages. You know, do what we can. Hope not. <laughs> it's been, it's been a hot minute, man. I was looking I was looking to see the last time we had you on the show, and uh, and I'm embarrassed to say, like, it goes back to 2013. Can you believe that? No. Well, except for maybe the IPSPR interviews, maybe. Yep. The- yeah. 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 I mean, we always we always want to come into the booth and get a good. We did uh, Pastani last year. Um, Fable as well. Um, we're gonna do an interview with Esteban this year. Yeah, entirely in in Espanol. Yeah, that I that I'll, I, let, I remember, I'll let you I, read that one. I remember that IPSPR interview. I was I was pretty drunk. <laughs> it doesn't really come across like it, but uh, I was I was loaded. Did you did you, have you ever watched? So we did the interview with um with uh, Dunbarton and. Uh, and I can either confirm nor deny I might have been imbibing uh, alcoholic beverages mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, if you watch the screen, if you want, because I was behind the camera, and if you watch the screen, you can see it kind of tilt and just continue to tilt till it's like a 30 degree angle 15 minutes through the interview. So uh, that's what happens when you drink whiskey at 10 30 in the morning, but uh, that's Vegas for you. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, um, you know, the, we did a thing at our offices with uh, a blog called um, Tuesday Night. Cigar Club. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think we drank between the five or six of us. I think we drank about sixty beers. <laughs> wow. So, and it was all like high, high, you know, ABV stuff. It was, it was, uh, it got pretty sloppy. Yeah, you got that stash of all, all the barrel aged stuff and everything at your at your headquarters. Right. They just, I think they just decided not to air like half of the interview because it was so bad. <laughs> see they say bad i say good those are those are the i mean that's why we like sharing our parents because that's when the best stuff comes out is when you get half in the bag and then you're just right. like whatever i'm just gonna say stuff that's gonna get me in trouble in the industry it doesn't matter yeah fuck it so skip maybe let's start out with the most recent in- information um because just last i say last month that's where my head's at but this month you guys announced a really cool cross uh, license agreement with uh, zycar which i thought was really interesting um, maybe talk a little bit about that and sort of where, you know, and I assume that kind of comes from that um, cool package you guys did for the five year anniversary with the with the kit and it had like the ash can and had the lighter and had all the accessories. Um, but maybe maybe tell our audience a little bit about that because I think that's a pretty cool project. Well, uh, the yeah, thanks. The the Zycar guys have um, have for a while been working on a with uh, the with Matt Booth on a. Uh, licensed product 
for Room 101, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they're and they're very popular for for Zycar. Um, last year, we you know they they're big fans of our cigars. I mean, if you go in their office, most of the people in the office smoke Romacraft on a regular basis. Nice. We're, they're they're kind. Of, in fact, they're the ones that coined the uh, the Weasel Team Six uh, moniker. So they're the, the core, the weasel team six headquarters. Right. So, um, you know, we trade cigars and lighters and cutters and butane and stuff all the time. Um, so our fifth anniversary was coming up simultaneously. You know, we, we just happened to be in Kansas city and they wanted to show us some of their new products. And so, uh, you know, one thing led to another pretty quickly. We turned around the idea of doing the monolith with them uh, because it contained both cigars and the accessories, it was a little tricky, um, particularly in Europe. So um, we, you know, we did really well with that. I think we sold all of them in the first day, day or two of the sh- of the show last year, and um, you know they got a lot of really good feedback on it. So um, when we were working on the monolith, because it had to be turned around so quickly, we we talked about maybe doing something else this year. And then, um, you know, I, they just decided, uh, both here and in Europe, they wanted to expand, uh, to do other products. Um, so that's when we started working on this project. So we have this project coming out with them that, that is, uh, has a Neanderthal, some Neanderthal products, some, uh, uh weasel products, some, uh, intemperance products, and the Romacraft products. And then at Christmas, we're going to have a whole nother round of uh, even cooler things uh, for Cro-Magnon and for um, some some FDA kind of regulatory branded things. So it's going to be pretty cool. Nice. So I, mean, so, I mean, is that one of those things where, you know, it's almost like the brand, like Romacraft Tobacco starts to take on almost, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's moving beyond the cigars. It's moving on to this. Becoming a lifestyle brand. Yeah, it's That's becoming a lifestyle brand. Do you, do you, do you see that's kind of where the direction is with the, with the logos and the, and the Weasel Team 6 stuff? I don't think so. I mean, our, um, I mean, you know, like, so like if you compare Tatawahe, you know, they have their saints and sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, General Cigar has tried to do this successfully on a number of things. Um, you know, with so you know, we kind of were born and grew up on social media, and and we have a lot of people who follow our brand. Um, you know, this kind of the fan club thing, the the weasels. Uh, it's a lot more decentralized and kind of informal than the Tatawahe kind of Saints and Sinners stuff. Um, but it's kind of along the same lines, right? It's like um, you know, people who follow you know our brand. So. Um, you know, look, we use Zycar products almost exclusively ourselves. Um, if, you know, in our headquarters, we're, we're opening a section of the headquarters and an online store to sell T-shirts, hats, and stuff like that. Because up to this point, we've, we've had them. But, it, but every time someone says, hey, where do I buy a hat? I'm like, well, we don't really have a way to sell it to you. Right. Right. So, um so really, this is just an expansion of that. It's just it's not a lifestyle brand. I mean, it's our our company is all about the cigars, and so, uh, but you know, you have to have a lighter and cutter. Um, having a hat or a shirt or something, you know, is cool. You know, kind of like the cigars from the very beginning. You know, we've always made like really high quality 
swag. So um, we don't really give it away. Uh, but once, you know, when we do give it to someone, uh, someone who posts, you know, really cool picture on Instagram or someone who's, you know, comes to our events, it's kind of like a friend of ours. Um, they last forever and they're comfortable. So people wear them all the time. And then what happens is other people say, Hey, where do I get that? So, um, it's really, it's just a way for them to support the brand. Um, you know, the money we make on the Zycar deal is pretty, uh, insignificant. In fact, I was calculating the other day that our licensing agreement on the Zycar deal will probably pay for the Bovedas we give away in this, in the, in, <laughs> in, in all of our packaging. So, uh, you know, it kind of, kind of cancel each other out. Yeah. Um, you know, the one big advantage though, is if you make the products cool enough, um, even people who don't know anything about Romacraft will learn about the brand. Right. Right. So, so, you know, your assumption might be that only people who really, really are into Romacraft will buy a Romacraft lighter or cutter, but actually the opposite is really true from their yeah, data on, on Roma, on room 101. There's a lot of people who bought room 101 things where the cigars weren't even available. Right. Right. So and I think that's kind of what I mean. Like, you know, where the, where the, the, the brand image, you know, that the, the Romacraft, um, mentality kind of expands beyond the product and maybe is a, a vehicle to bring people into that brand um, because they sort of associate with these other things that are craft and then, you know, discover the, the cigar sort of secondary to that. Maybe. I mean, I hope that happens. Um, you know, their, their problem gonna, is going to be finding it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to be the problem. The, the, um, you know, I, I think about like the, if you look, if you remember the uh, coffee project we did with twin and twin engine, mm-hmm. Yep. A couple of years ago, it was never, I mean, apparently everybody now is in the coffee business, but <laughs> it was never our, it was never our intention to get into right. the coffee business. I mean, being in the cigar business is enough work, right? Yeah. Um, what we, you know, we had a friend who was in that business and we just took this opportunity to, to cross promote and to, to do something. So people who were aware of our brand, maybe they could become aware of twin engine and people who, who were twin engine people maybe could become aware of our brand. And, the you know, it was a high-quality product. It was well-executed and um, met all of our brand, you know, kind of requirements. And so and it was just people we liked working with. So really, the Zycar thing is really an extension of the same thing, is they wanted to do uh, more kind of brand-related items and – I mean, because, you know, face it, if you've got a XI1 cutter and, and you've got maybe four or five extras, you're probably not going to buy another XI1 cutter. But if, if, if they come out with one that, that has a chrome, really cool Cro-Magnon design on it, maybe you will, right? So Absolutely. Um, and, and more than anything, we just wanted to do more projects with those guys, with, with Kurt and Scott and Tim and, you know, Ryan and all those guys. So uh, it's that's really what it's about. It's not about us trying to become a... I mean, you're free to copy my lifestyle. Uh, I would, your doctor would probably advise against it, but uh. <laughs> well, hopefully, he's not an FDA doctor because he's, you know, he's just going to say that copying your lifestyle is healthy, as it turns out. <laughs> as it turns out, well, so, I, I don't know if it's healthy, but it's 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 probably no worse than uh, than just what average people do. 
No yeah, worse than having exactly. a cell phone in your pocket. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make sure, I'm not gonna testify to the FDA that I smoke eight to ten cigars a day. That might change their data set. Yeah, no kidding. So, um, quickly before we get into our first break, and and I don't even know if this is a question that you can answer in two minutes because it's it's a loaded question. But I know I've heard you remark on um, getting the top twenty five cigar aficionado, and and you guys didn't sneak in to the top twenty five. You guys landed smack dab in the top fifteen, which is you know a pretty impressive result, especially considering you don't advertise with cigar aficionado. I know they they get busted on a lot for for advertising. You guys don't spend advertising dollars, as I understand it, with them. Um, no. And and you've kind of remarked on how, and and other people have remarked on how it's it's kind of a double edged sword getting on the top twenty five because it does get you exposure. Not not necessarily the kind of exposure you're looking for. Well, I mean, so you, you brought up a couple of things there. I'll try to hit hit all three of them. <laughs> One, uh, real quickly, we don't advertise anywhere at all, so we never have. Uh, two, um, Dave Savona and Barry have supported us from before Romacraft even existed. Um, I remember giving uh, Dave uh, a Cro-Magnon at the uh, second Nicar- Nica Cigar uh, Puro Sabor or whatever they call it, uh, Nicaragua Cigar Festival back in 2011, and he wrote a little piece about it in his uh, travel blog. That you know, and ever since then he's been aware of it and and you know a fan. Um, I think we've reached a point as a as a company where you know we're like I said from the beginning, no one really believed me that we were going to get to a million cigars a year and stay there. And that's where we are, and that's where we've been for two years, and we're not getting bigger than that. Um, so, the you know we're not going to have new products every year. We're we're not going to advertise. We're not going to all of a sudden you know start trying to be what these other guys are. It just so happens that there's some stores in New York that sell our products. That's where they get the products for the reviews. Their cigar wrangler picked up some Cro Magnons. Um, you know they've reviewed three three of our cigars. Uh, the, but they're all three Cro-Magnons. They've reviewed the the Cranium, the Anthropology, and the Knuckle Dragger all really well. But for whatever reason, um, you know, they really, you know, kind of were drawn more to that Anthropology. Um, as to how what it's done to our company, um, you know, more than anything, it just generated a whole bunch of phone calls to us saying, hey, I want to buy some of those Cro-Magnon Anthropologies because – I do samplers or whatever of all the top 25 cigars and I never heard of you before. And of course the answer was, well, a you're you know, calling after someone gets a rating to get something is probably not a good idea because it's, <laughs> it's, it's now back ordered for six months. And, uh, really more than anything, anthropology wasn't a really, you know, it had a pretty, you know, all of our SKUs have kind of grown since we launched every single one of them, even the, like the mandible, but the anthropology was always, maybe our third or fourth best size in Cro-Magnon with Cranium and Knuckle Dragger and those things being higher. Um, anthropology now is, is sells more than Cranium just because of the rating. I think, um, people are bringing it in that before just, you know, didn't bring in Corona's. So, um, you know, obviously we didn't sell to those people. We didn't open new accounts based on it. Um, but it's, you know, it's nice to be recognized. Um, we got a real nice plaque in the in the mail, and in our headquarters. You know, if you go through a couple of doors back to the file cabinet cabinet room, you you can see it hanging nicely there. Um, so you know we're we're proud. It's always good to be recognized, 
Um, but there's so much more to me, so much more important than, than a subjective kind of ranking of cigars. Right. Um, the fact that, you know, I was talking to Steve Sock about this last night and he, you know, he did an ad, his only ad he's ever done that had, you know, like 400 different kind of cigar of the year blog notations and stuff for the last two years. And I said, you know, there's been every, you know, there's always, you know, the, you and Nick and, and Jose Blanco and, you know, when Jose Blanco came out with the Cuenco y Blanca, he was on every single list in the top two or three yep. cigar, the, you know, the consensus rating, he was there, but the next year he probably couldn't sell 10 boxes of them. Yep. You know what I mean? So, and, and, and that's not because Jose Blanco, I mean, Jose Blanco is a phenomenal cigar maker. Um, but it's just the nature of the business. It's very hard to create a core brand and then have that core brand still be super popular um, and consistent consistent over time. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of uh, companies, you know, our size and bigger. Um, you know, our track has always been like Padron and LaFleur, where we're going to make some core lines. Every now and then we'll do something exciting, but we're going to make core lines with the sizes we think are, are necessary for those lines. And then, um, you know, if they don't work, I guess we'll – we haven't had that situation yet. We haven't had we haven't had a situation yet where we've released something where people just don't buy it. So um, when we hopefully never have that problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure we'll deal with it uh, when we get there if we ever do. So I'll take a quick moment here to uh, first of all thank all of our live listeners. Tune in at Facebook Live. Get your questions in. We'll try and get to those questions in our next segment. CigarFederation.com and YouTube Live. I'm your host John Cigar Surgeon, joined by Trippy Trent. We have our special guest Skip Martin of Romacraft Tobacco. Please stay tuned for a word from one of our sponsors. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars? Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor, Make sure you set it and forget it today. And we're back talking to Skip Martin of Roma Craft Tobacco. And Skip, we were just before the break there talking about, and, and I think if, you know, if I was to summarize, which is not easy to do, but obviously Roma Craft Tobacco is not going to be defined by one cigar. You, you know, you're mentioning that your cigars have done equally well with your key accounts. And I think, you know, when you talk to people who are Roma Craft, uh, enjoy Roma Craft cigars, which is, you know, everyone, frankly, um, it's not just one cigar that stands out. They say, well, I like this cigar for this. I like this cigar for this, this cigar for this. So, you know, you guys aren't defined by the Cro-Magnon anthropology. You're defined by your entire portfolio. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, we have cigars that, uh, you know, I th- I touched on this a little bit, but, you know, we have uh, Intemperance BA, Intemperance EC, Cro-Magnon, Cro-Magnon Aquitaine, Neanderthal, and uh, Wonderlust that are our brands. Uh, Wonderlust is a brand we sell only in Germany. Uh, we have, uh, but, but out of that, out of those six, uh, all of them except for Neanderthal and Wonderlust were released in our first year. And we've added one size to, to each of the Intemperance and two sizes, two core line sizes to each of the Cro uh, Magnon and Aquitaine. Um, and we, and we added so, but other than that, those those forty SKUs 
have been the same 32 SKUs and now 38, I think those, those have been the same since almost since we started, uh, almost six years ago now. Um, when we added Neanderthal, Neanderthal was one size, and since then mm-hmm. we've added we've added one more size, uh, and I'm talking about our core core line products, right? So out of all out of those products, there's not a single one that hasn't grown year over year uh, since the day we launched it. So the mandible in 2012 sold X, in 2013 it sold more, 2014 it sold more. 2015, it sold more. 2016, it sold more. And this year so far, it's selling more. So um, not only do we not have a brand that really hasn't stuck, we, we, we have every size has pretty much found a place and, and is, is grown a little bit. So, um, you know, we only have – we started out with about 30 retailers. Um, actually, we started out with five retailers, and then we had our first trade show, and we opened another 25 or so retailers. Then we grew to about 50 or 60, and then we grew to about 120, and then we grew to about uh, 200, and then, you know, kind of we've reached this level where we're somewhere between 250 and 300 accounts, which is really less than 10% of the, you know, real cigar selling stores in the country. So, you know, we sell to Alliance, which which distributes some of our stuff to a few smaller stores. So we may be deeper penetrated into those three thousand stores than we realize, um, but for the most part, you know, we've we've only ever opened about three hundred and twenty, three hundred thirty accounts, and and we still have two hundred and seventy five, two hundred eighty of them that order at least every sixty days. So. Um, and those stores that we're in, 200 of them or so, are um, stores that they have something in almost every something in every brand we make. We don't have very many stores at all that that don't carry two or three of our brands, right? Um, so you know we've been really fortunate that you know kind of from the beginning saying we're going to be this size and this is how we're going to operate, and by kind of being selective and everyone says that they do this, but you know, the reality is a lot of small brands will see those 3000 stores. They'll go after the ones that are, you know, attainable. They'll lose 30 or 40% of those. And the next year they go out after another chunk of them. Then they lose 30, 40% of those. And they go after a chunk. And after four or five years, they've burned through 1500 or 2000 of the 3000 accounts And, you know, you start seeing the slow decline of those companies, not just brands, but companies. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we're in a really, really, really healthy position from a from a financial perspective. You know, we don't we don't owe money to anyone. We have lots of tobacco. We have lots of finished goods inventory in our factory that's paid for. Um, our headquarters is really, really nice and it's paid for and all of our inventory in the United States is paid for and we don't owe money to anyone for anything. Uh, we don't have sales reps or, or, or brokers. We don't spend any money on advertising. So, you know, our thing from the very beginning and we make it look easy, but it's really not very common <laughs> is, is just making really good cigars consistently and selling them at a fair price. And, you know, we, we, we make 10, 12, $14 cigars and we sell them for six, eight, $10. 
and that's been the secret to our success and and staying small and knowing what we're good at and staying focused on what we're good at um so i think uh you know at the end of the day it's you know you talk about the lighters you talk about uh, all these things but at the end of the day um we like the ratings we like the recognition but for us the real recognition is when a customer walks into a cigar store and they pick up they know they're going to get 20 25 cigars because that's what you have to do to get the box discount right they're not a box buyer per se but they want to get that 10 percent off so they have an agreement with their their shop that if they buy a box quantity they can get a box discount so they usually pick up their their regulars you know three of these three of these three of these three of these and then after that it's kind of like what's new and our goal has always been to be in that core part of what they're buying so that every time they walk into a store that you know, our customer may be buying a lot of things, you know, new things, old things, things are a little more expensive, things are a little more everyday and cheaper, but that we're always in his hand when he, when he reaches the register. And so we've been really fortunate that uh, our plan from the beginning and by sticking to what we believe in, uh, the people who, who buy our cigars keep buying them. Um, and it, it's kind of gone beyond that buzz uh, you know, being hot brand or being a buzz brand or, be, you know, whatever they call it, it's gone beyond that to I feel like we've reached kind of the level where with a lot of our consumers where La Florida Dominicana is or where, um, you know, other companies like that that we respect. You know, me as a consumer, when I walk into a store, I'm going to pick up a couple of Fuentes, a couple of Padrones, a couple of La Florida Dominicanas because they're always good and they're always, you know, they're, you know, for me, uh, I know what I, what I want, you know, what I'm looking for. Um, and I think we've reached that level, if, you know, where people know we're, we're going to make good cigars and you're going to get your, your money's worth. It's all about those core competencies. Trippy? I think so. Trippy, you got uh give you a chance to ask a question there or get in with some uh, audience questions, comments, well, feedback? Well, so we've got several audience questions and a few comments. I'm sure. Uh First, I, I actually want to say, you mentioned the mandible. I smoked that cigar for the first time like two months ago, and I cannot believe what a good 60 ring gauge cigar that is. I didn't know you could make a 60 that good. Thank you. And we make uh, Lanceros really good, too. You do. You absolutely do. But I didn't know it was actually possible to make a 60 that good. Uh, so Jason Myers wants to know about uh, that... I believe you said that you were working on a project with a friend. It's a uh, Connecticut, maybe Perfecto, that you've been posting on Instagram. I know you really like to kind of tease stuff. Slow. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> well, Anne-Marie Schuster posted a picture of it, so I guess it's not really a secret anymore. <laughs> um, we're So when Esteban came to Nicaragua in 1997, one of the very first projects he worked on was – um, Philip Schuster's first uh, non-German cigar, kind of what they call New World cigars here. Um, he had come to, to Esteli to work with uh, Fidel Olivas to make a uh, a brand for Germany that he could sell. Uh, he's his family's been making cigars for a hundred years in Germany, uh, mostly machine-made uh, short filler cigars, and he wanted to make a long filler premium brand. Uh, he's been he'd been coming here for decades buying tobacco and just 
decided he wanted to make a cigar and see if he could make it work in distributing it in um, Germany. And so Esteban worked on that project. It was one of the very first things he did in the cigar business here in Nicaragua. Um, after uh, CAO was sold, after Scandinavia bought the Latin Cigar Factory, uh, Philip Schuster moved the production of that brand of cigars, Casa Torres, to Placencia. And every year they make a, a, a kind of a limited uh, kind of anniversary cigar um, once a year that's different than the core line. Um, that cigar is one of the best-selling Nicaraguan cigars in Europe. Um, so it's, it's, a uh, it's very popular there. Um, mm. because, you know, our relationship with him now, <laughs> because of his relationship with Esteban, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, this is their 20th anniversary. It's, it's Esteban's 20th year here in Esteli. <coughs> and so, uh, we'd been wanting to do something together and this just seemed like the, we don't have the capacity here to take on another core line of cigars. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of the FDA, we really don't have the ability to make any kind of limited editions for other people. Uh, that, you know, people have been asking us, we've just never had the capacity. Um, so it's, it's really cool to be able to work on something this special or I guess important to, to the Schuster family. And, um, it's a beautiful cigar. It's very unlike anything else we we make. So um, it's a little. It was a little tough for me. Um, it's more. It's more in Esteban's kind of wheelhouse of of you know his experience. So um, it's been great working on that. So we just recently sent them. You know the, our five blends. Uh, Esteban and I had kind of settled on two, one of two out of the five and. Um, they're going to get back to us as to uh, which ones they like. But the good news was they liked all, all of them and really liked four out of the five. So the fact that we haven't decided yet is really because we have four good choices to choose from, um, mm -hmm. which is always good. Somebody said, somebody has said, uh, you know, you guys don't know how to make bad cigars. I'm like, we know how to make bad cigars. <laughs> we you just, just don't we show just, it. We just, just we don't, don't tell ever, everybody. We don't ever let them leave the building. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about the Wanderlust because um, some of us in the uh, in the in the underworld of blogging have had the opportunity to uh, enjoy that cigar, um, and it is very unlike. It's always interesting for me to get a product that you can get the the fingerprints, you know, the DNA from the factory, and yet it doesn't smoke like anything else you produce. It's a, it's a unique product within your portfolio, and you know, it hit the market. It's a Germany exclusive product. And yet even people within the United States who really engage with your brand were kind of going nuts over trying to get their hands on that, that product. So how has that response been and how has it been received in Germany? Uh, so a little bit of the history first, um, Mark Thomas, who used to own blue Havana in Chicago came to me in the, one of the beginning of the, uh, of our, I think our first year, and, and asked me to work on a private label for him. And at that point, I was really not comfortable with doing it. But um, one of the tobaccos that we had been working with along when we kind of go out and shop for Brazil Autopodaca is, is other Brazilian tobaccos. And so we ended up making a cigar for Mark um, that uses uh, Brazil Modafina. Uh, the Ouroboros. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Uh, it's a private label we make for Blue Havana in Chicago. 
and it's a really, really, really good cigar. It, it, uh, it was both the Abaddon and the Ouroboros that we make for that store in Chicago were two of the top five cigars for the Stogie guys one year, that, that the year that they came out. And so um, the problem with Montefina is, is that the people around here in, in Nicaragua that use it bring it in specifically for themselves – and none of the pla- none of the other places kind of where you can kind of really shop for tobacco um, has it. It's become less and less popular. And even when you go to Brazil to look for tobacco, it's very hard to find and it's super, super expensive. And so for a lot of reasons, even though I wanted to work with it, I knew I couldn't make that many of those cigars. And so I really couldn't make a, a brand that that would work in our portfolio, you know, a 200, 300,000 cigar a year brand. Um, so, um, when Philip Schuster and I started talking about, you know, our opportunities in Europe, um, when we went, I went over there a couple of times and one of the trips, one of my first trips, I got to tour his facility and, um, you know, I started seeing kind of some of this tobacco that he has in his, his bodega, uh, and one of the cigars that he has that I really, really liked is a, is a little cigar called Trio Lee that has Montefina wrapper and Cuban filler, one type of Cuban filler and one type of Montefina wrapper. And it tastes really good, even though it's very simple. And so um, I started looking around and seeing that there were other tobaccos that we were very familiar with. And I said, you know, what if we could make a brand that's for Germany that only has the kinds of tobaccos that you use so we sat down and and Anne marie and i while we were touring kind of started thinking about the idea of the brand and then while i was working with philip we i started working with him on the blend and um came back to to nicaragua uh, a lot of tobacco came soon soon thereafter and um because of philip's ability to buy Montefina, the way he buys it in his in his you know, 40, 50 years worth of contacts uh, with the people who grow it. Um, it, it became a reality. And, um, so, you know, in Europe, a hundred thousand cigars is a big brand. So, um, you know, we made that one specifically for Europe. Um, the, the, um, kind of what's happened since then is, um, something really unexpected was, is that somewhere around 30 to 40% of the first hundred thousand, actually got sold back to U.S. addresses. <laughs> so um, for the first time, these German retailers were seeing this huge American demand for a cigar that wasn't Cuban. So um, it was really odd to them because because up until this, as far as I know, maybe Rosalonia's, but there's not been any really kind of pop, um, you know, kind of cult type brand where people have looked for it that wasn't available in the United States. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's released in the U S and Europeans have a hard time getting it. And so because of the way that, you know, we made this and the way it was released, a lot of our customers who wanted, who wanted to smoke it, uh, were calling German retailers to, to get it. And, you know, I think that, that kind of story leads into, you know, now that the FDA, um, won't let us introduce new things in the United States, Apparently, I'm the only one that follows that rule. (laughs) Either that or everybody commercially marketed, you know, because they were geniuses and commercially marketed 100, you know, 
uh, what do they call them? Shadow skews um, yeah. before yep. last year's trade show. Um, you know, we, we've been working on three new sizes of Neanderthal. Those three new sizes of Neanderthal are only going to be released in Germany because I can't release them in uh, the United States because they weren't sold before August 8th. So it just so happens that the Neanderthal has a very German origin story. And so it was, you know, it really it became easy for us to figure out kind of the names of the cigars and and the tie to Germany is is uh, automatic. So um, we'll sell a lot of them in, in Europe. Um, if people from the United States want those three sizes of Neanderthal, which I'm sure they will, given our experience with Wonderlust, um, then they'll be able to buy them. Uh, there's no rule against German retailers selling non-Cuban cigars to U.S. customers. I mean, I know for me, I got to get some of those uh, Coronas. <laughs> I need them. Yeah, they're really good. I'm sure. All right, we'll take a quick moment here and uh, just take a quick station break. Uh, remind everyone you're tuning into Cigar Chat Broadcast at CigarFederation.com. We're here with our very special guest, Skip Martin of Romacraft Tobacco. And here's a word from one of our sponsors. Brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage featuring a Rosado, Ecuador, and Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvanian, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it's hand-rolled Nicaraguan available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preference is, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. Well, there's our one, Trippy. I, I said there was going to be a technical issue tonight, and that was our quick technical issue that we were able to resolve on the fly. So I mean, it's all good. something's got to happen every single time. Something's got to happen, whether it's uh, Facebook uh, crap in the bed or YouTube crap in the bed, but uh, we fixed it on the fly. Um, so uh, before before I ask some more questions, um, Trippy, how are we doing for uh, audience questions, feedback, comments? Uh, oh, we got quips. a bunch of shout-outs. All right. Uh, Bo says he's already pre-ordered his Zykar stuff. I'm not going to even right. try to pronounce his last name. Uh, we've got a couple of people saying that you need to make some more, uh, some more firecrackers because they're running low. Yeah, the uh, you know the firecrackers is an interesting thing because given the new guidance from the FDA, as long as you don't change the package quantity, the package size, or and it's essentially the same product, you can change the blend, you can change the the factory, you can change the packaging of it. Uh, is that the new well, that was kind of the packaging guidance that came out. So um, the firecracker itself is is a is is a it's not a grandfather product, I don't think, but it's definitely a, a pre two thousand eight product. So um, he can keep coming out with firecracker project projects every year. And uh, we did the project two years ago. Um, we probably won't ever make Cro-Magnon firecrackers again. Um, a lot of people have been asking if we want to make a Neanderthal firecracker. Oh, <laughs> which, which getting the fuse through the flat head is a lot harder. Yeah, than that'd you, be impossible. You, yeah, we made a bunch of them, but it just—it's a lot harder than making a Cro-Magnon firecracker. So, <laughs> and for those of our audience who aren't familiar with it, it's a um, yearly project that's done through the uh, Two Guys Cigar Shop in uh, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, yeah, and sure. uh, it's an annual release, and they change it up every year with a different manufacturer. It's kind of a cool—it's kind of one of those really cool projects. And uh, basically, it's one and done. So if you're not in when the uh, when the product gets released, they go. And speaking of that, wasn't today the release of the uh, 
the J- dojo Russian Imperial Stout, uh, or the the. I thought that was tomorrow. Maybe I missed. Oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tomorrow. So me and Saka already ordered ours. Oh, lucky you! <laughs> I gotta get my order in. You, you, we're you small people. Uh, can order tomorrow. We <laughs> already right. ordered ours. Well, we had Barry on last night. I should have talked to him about that. Yeah, we don't. We don't have a guy. Maybe we have a guy now. We we might have an inside track. We'll see. I mean, it's funny. Like sitting behind me, I have close to four hundred thousand cigars. Uh, four hundred thousand. What I think is <laughs> the best cigars in the world. And and today, I think I bought three boxes of cigars. I bought um or ordered the those with Saka, uh, the new Eladio Diaz sixtieth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um and some uh something else but uh i'm still a fanboy yeah exactly that that I'm, shows I'm you still guys a, are geeks i'm still it. a cigar smoker yeah yeah you and soccer are kind of the same in that way in that you're never going to stop smoking other people's cigars no matter how good your cigars are you got to see what everybody else is making yeah i mean um got to try that new new yeah the, well in this this week you know all these guys are coming down here and they are getting kind of their final stuff to take to the trade show, you know, their final shipments of their new stuff that's top secret. And so this is like one of my favorite two-week windows because, first of all, everybody who, who I'm friends with comes to my house for uh, food, and they pay with it with uh, these new cigars. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've smoked – by the time the trade show comes around, I've smoked, you know, pretty much – you know, half of this, the new stuff from Nicaragua. Nice. Nice. That's, I mean, that's so, gotta be a great experience. Speaking of food, uh, uh, another like compliment for you is that I did like, I came to your house in January, uh, during Pro Sabor and Arlen made fried eggs. And I was like, skip, I don't even like eggs, but I'm just going to try this. And I ate that whole thing. I ate this entire fried egg sandwich and now, when I went back in March, it was like, all right, Skip's right. I like Esteli eggs. I don't like American eggs. Yeah, Esteli fruit, vegetables, uh, chicken, eggs. That you know, they're not the um, the GMO corporate. Uh, you know, mass they produced. Live, yeah, if you, if we eat eggs today, they probably came out of a chicken in the last two days. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a as a guy who's been a lifelong foodie since the age of pretty much seven. Um, I think there's something to be said, and there's always something to be said. You listen to the top cooks around the top chefs around the world and they always preach fresh ingredients, right? And that's, you know, for better or for worse, that's, that's the Nicaraguan lifestyle. They don't have a giant warehouse full of stuff. It goes from farm to table every time. And I think there's something to be said about that kind of food experience for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, like if you look at things like uh, beef, I mean, it doesn't compete with Texas. Um, if you look at, um, or the United States in general. I think there's a lot of things, you know, especially a lot of the packaged foods like, you know, Lipton onion soup mix or things that, you know, you know, those kinds of things, a bag of Fritos, those kinds of things, you know, I still go to, uh, there's a couple of places in Managua that are, you know, there's, there's price mart, which is basically Costco. And then there's, um, um, there's a, there's a place ironically called stop and go, um, that is just full of all kinds of gringo stuff. So I think they get like a container of gringo stuff. Stopping uh, gringo. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can always find, it's not always the same stuff, but you know, like if you want to buy a big red or, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bag of, uh, I don't know, some uh, ruffles or something that they don't necessarily have here, you know, uh, you can always get it there, but other, you know, the fruits and vegetables and stuff like that, 
we always get it locally, which is really nice. The um, I'm looking forward to having my own garden so I can actually start growing some some more. Uh, okay, I'm not going to be the one working the garden, but I will. <laughs> I will. There's plenty of ag students around here who can help me out. Um, you know, so I can grow actual hot peppers because. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything that has flavor, they think is too spicy. So, yeah, that's the thing I noticed about Nicaragua is like all of the hot sauce in Nicaragua is imported from Mexico, and their food just isn't that spicy, which is kind of no. different for Central America. Well, Nicaragua doesn't really have a, a cuisine, you know, yeah. per se. Per se, um, there, you know, there's there are some dishes. Most of it are things that I wouldn't eat, like you know, cow stomach and. Um, but you know, like the Naka tamal is very is very um, Nicaragua. Gallo pinto is very Nicaragua. The tostones are very Latin Central America. Um, but most of that is just most of the cuisine here. If you had to sum it up, is a lot of carbohydrates, and it's like a lot of energy and a small amount of food. And it's just the mm-hmm. nature of of a poor country. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Skip, maybe we can talk a little bit about because, you know, you, you sort of were talking about the journey of the company and the growth and, and, you know, really focusing on your core competencies. But you guys over the years have taken on other brands, that is other brands that are manufactured out of your uh, out of your factory. We've got Fable, uh, uh, and I'm always gonna, I always screw up the name, but Pus, it's Puspiich, but that's not actually, that's the cigar name. Um, Paustania. Paustania, right. And then uh, Guayamaro, or Guaymaro, which is uh, Esteban's, which is Esteban's brand. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about sort of, you know, how those brands were kind of taken on by your factory, and then maybe talk sort of how the direction those brands are going in in conjunction with your guys' production. Yeah, so the very first one we did was uh, Paustania. Cigar Hustler supported us from the beginning. Um, We... uh, we, they came down, you know, they wanted to make a cigar, you know, we did everything we could to talk them out of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we put all the, the barriers up and, um, you know, I gave them, I said, look, you know, I, I can't, I can't ever do more than, you know, 50, a hundred thousand cigars a year. But, um, at, at the time that seemed like a big number to them, but, um, you know, I think, you know, they have a big retail outlet for that type of cigar, and it's it's obviously a very Nicosueño product. It's, it's you know, Broadleaf and Habano, and it's it's not complete. It's different from uh, Cro-Magnon Aquitaine, but it's kind of their own little thing. Um, oh. And then because they were bringing that in, um, another one of our really good customers out of New York, uh, Mom's, Mom's Cigar King and uh, Cigar Warehouse, uh, Matul Shah and his friend uh, came to us with an idea that, that, you know, with a brand idea. And I said, well, if that's all well and good, but A, you got to understand tobacco. I'm not going to blend a cigar for you and then let you call it yours. Yeah. Um, um, and then, you know, again, it's the same limitations as, as Mike as Mike and Greg. So, you know, we did those two really more again, the same as Zycar and the same as as uh you know the twin engine coffees because it's people that you know are our friends and um more than anything it's just more about working with them um and then fable used mike and greg to actually do their importing for them and then um you know esteban has wanted to have his own cigar <coughs> um and 
but you know, Estevan's not able to go to the U.S. and support a brand. So, uh, but he still wanted to have something that was all his own. That you know, um, I helped him a lot with the marketing side of it and in and that piece of it. But the tobacco and the and the blending and all that was all Esteban. And um, so Mike and Greg distribute that as well. But you know, we make about twenty five thousand cigars a week, which is Right, right under 1.3 million cigars a year. Uh, Roma Craft is at a million. Um, it probably could be at four million, um, but we we keep it at a million. And um, you know, the, all these other little projects and limited editions and special sizes and stuff kind of fill in that other 300,000. I'll take uh, I'll take a quick moment here before I ask my next question because it's a it's it's going to be a long one. So I'll just remind our audience you are tuned into Cigar Chat broadcast live around the world, picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We're with our very special guest Skip Martin of Roma Craft Tobacco. I am your host John the Cigar Surgeon, joined by Trippy Trent, my co-host. Please stay tuned for a word from one of our sponsors. Show brought to you by Drew Estate. Until June 30th, if you're a Drew Diplomat member, you attend a rewards program event and make a promotional purchase, you will receive a Liga Privada Velvet Rat. You'll also be entered to win a Drew Diplomat Pewter Ashtray, Mega Standing Ashtray, or the Swag Closet Humanor, dubbed the Divorcinator. All these products were built and designed by Drew Estate Subculture Studios. If you're not a member, download the Drew Diplomat app from the Apple Store or Google Play Store today. By the way, I'm smoking so one back. of the new. What do you get? What? Oh, oh, oh is that some? Is that some new hot meat? Let me put that up on the big on the big camera there. You want to hold that up for us again? Little little sneaky. Yeah, this this is um, this is one of the new Neanderthals. It's a 56 ring gauge, um, four and three quarters, and it is awesome. Dynamite. Yeah, we're gonna see it at the show. Uh, it'll be displayed. Uh, but the answer will be, uh, this is a we'll German product. Directly. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how my uh, weasel game is. You know, I try to. I try to work on my weasel game. I like to think I'm a Weasel Team Six member. So we'll see what happens. You know, with a little uh, little whiskey, little beer, anything can happen. But I, I want to talk about because we're talk, talking about cigars. We're talking about brands. But I kind of want to focus a little bit on the business end because um, I know at your heart, you know, you, you have a business strategy, and that business strategy you've talked about how it applies to the factory. So you guys have a plan. You're you're executing that plan consistently you're at 1.2 1.3 million cigars you've you've taken on sort of some brands that that are out of the factory what is what is the business plan from here what is what is sort of the goal for the next five years in terms of you know where do you take the company is it is it sustained growth to get you to two and a half million cigars or is it another strategy no um i i mean we (laughs) You know, we do really well and we're very happy with the size we are. And, you know, as a guy who went to a quasi Ivy League MBA program business school, um, I can tell you that that's antithetical to, (laughs) you know, the way we thought about things at, you know, Dell Computer or at HSBC Mm -hmm. Bank or even the Navy, you know, apparently we want to be an empire as well. So (laughs) every, every organization I've ever been a part of their, their goal has been, you know, get bigger, bigger, bigger and global domination. domination, Um, And in every one of those organizations, I noticed the bigger we got, the less, the less we were able to execute at the same level of excellence. Mm -hmm. And whether you're talking about the military or whether you're talking about, 
a big bank and finance or are you talking about um, a technology company? Um, bigger is not better and bigger is not even necessarily more profitable. Yeah, um, there's a certain point where you're, you're so big you're becoming a behemoth and uh, you're just moving slower. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to have Cro-Magnon Cranium on back order for 18 months. Right. We make it on a regular basis. We fill orders first in, first out. So, you know, we're doing our um, third price increase in six years this year. Actually, uh, Saturday is the first day of the price increase. And, you know, our stuff still, you know, when I say price increase, you know, you're talking about 30 cents here, 40 cents there, 50 cents here. Right. So, um but the bigger chunks of the price increase come on the products that are always back ordered. So, you know, um, you know, our competitors are selling cigars, come into the market with an untried cigar at $10, $12. We've got cigars that we've kept really good for, for six years that are still under $7. So we have a whole lot of room. I mean, we're super profitable right now. Um, at both the gross and net level. And so, you know, probably, you know, we'll just keep, you know, easing up the prices as everybody else has to ease up prices for things like um, FDA and other things just to stay profitable and cost of goods sold and other things. We'll ease up prices just because that's the nature of, of economics. And, um, and we'll keep putting that money back into our people at the factory, into our people that work for us in Austin and, and into, our savings accounts. I mean, you know, hopefully Roma craft will live, outlive me, you know? Um, and for Mike and I, it's not really about making, you know, it's not about being bigger than another company. It's about making, you know, our mark and doing what we want to do from the very beginning. When Mike and I sat down and said, okay, this cigar we've been making that doesn't have a name is really popular. We've sold in a couple of months more cigars than Mike had sold um, his entire, you know, three, four years had been working on his brand, uh, Adrian's. And he's like, I can't believe how well this is doing. And we're not even in retail shops. So, um, you know, we sat down and we said, okay, if we're going to do a company, like what, 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 what is our purpose? Because, I mean, the, the, what the world needs now is not another love song and not another cigar company right <laughs> um um so you know it's like well how are we going to to justify starting a new cigar company and um you know it was a we want to make cigars that we're proud to put our name on and that we that we're proud to smoke and sell them for a, a price that that is 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 accessible by people who smoke cigars every day um and that competes against cigars that are more expensive um we want to if we, you know, we want to stay lean and if we hire people, we want to take care of them the same way we take care of ourselves, pay them really good salaries, make sure they all have really good health care insurance, make sure um, that, you know, we don't hire them today and then hire someone else two months from now and then fire them. And, you know, what a lot of companies do, um, you know, every person that's ever started for us in the state still works for us. Every, every person, there's like four people out of the 60 people or 65 people we've ever hired at the factory that don't work here anymore. So, you know, taking care of our people, if, if you have an organization, the, the, the purpose of the organization can't be just making money and it can't just be 
you know, feeding my ego or Mike's ego. And it can't be just, um, you know, trying to survive either. So, um, and then, you know, we, we, we said, we, we don't want to work with a lot of the retailers because a lot of cigar retailers just fucking horrible at business. And it's like, we don't want to do business with those kinds of people. And so how do we do all these things and, and still, do business because at the time, you know, you look around, there's not very many, if any companies that accomplish all of those things. And so, you know, I feel like if, you know, probably about two years ago, we reached a point where I was like, you know, this is where we wanted to be when we started. And, you know, every, every day, every week, every month we sit down and say, how can we do better? Um, you know, a common thing I read on the internet is about, I can't afford to pay people $15 an hour because, you know, then my business will go out of business. And, you know, then I would have to raise my prices and nobody would buy whatever I'm selling for the new price. And, you know, A, if, if, uh, if, if, it's, if you've got to ask someone to, to pass up other opportunities and come work for you, you want to pick the best people and then pay them like they're the best people. So, you know, that's what we do. Um, B, just because you get a curveball thrown at you like a price uh, or a new cost doesn't necessarily mean it has to necessarily translate into a higher price. Um, we're constantly doing things to, re- to take unnecessary work, unnecessary waste, unnecessary cost out of what we do. So if we, you know, we used to buy a certain tobacco at X amount per pound, it goes up 40% in one year. And then goes up another twenty or thirty percent the next year. That adds a lot to the to the amount of the product. How do we deal with that? We don't just increase the price and say, "Hey, prices are going up." Um, we go and look at it and go, "Well, if we lost twenty twenty one cents over here, how can I get? How can I find that twenty one cents over here?" Right? Um, the user fee added five cents to our import of every cigar. About. Well, we had to go find three or four of that five cents in 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 waste and and other things, and and then you know um, pass pass less of that on than than hopefully other people do, and that's how we constantly stay really competitive. Also, we don't have any middlemen. You know, um, we don't pay anyone to sell our cigars um, like a, a cut. We don't pay anyone to import or distribute our cigars. We don't pay anyone to make our cigars. So um, really the only middleman in the entire supply chain uh, is at the very beginning from the farmer to us, uh, there's a middleman. And then at the very end from us to the consumer, there's a middleman. Uh, But other than – because I don't want to be a farmer and I don't want to be a transactional retailer anymore. So (laughs) um, those are by choice. I'm going to uh, ask a quick question before I turn it back over to Trippy here and some audience questions and comments. And I know it's probably going to be a quick answer, but I'd be remiss not to ask as a large Canadian retailer, any plans now or in the future to expand into the Canadian market such as it is? Very unlikely. Um, I hope that people in Canada can figure out a way to get cigars uh, from us if they they, want them. they, They do. They do. Um, the same as the people in New Zealand and, and Australia and, um, you know, Switzerland and Amsterdam and um, uh, London and in the UK. We just don't have, the, you know, I could all the cigars we sell in Germany, Czech, Czech Republic, 
um, and, and the countries that the shooters help us get cigars to, all those cigars we could sell in the U.S. ourselves and make twice as much money. Um, for, for me, really being over there is more is more about, you know, who knows? One day, um, you know, you, you just got to – it's more about being, you know, kind of like hedging your bets and, and diversifying. Yep. Yep. Um, but, you know, in a sense, it's helped us out, you know, become more of a global brand. Uh, but then comes the questions like when are you going to start distributing to – you know, so American Samoa. It's like probably not anytime soon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trippy. All right. Up. We've got a couple of uh, audience questions. I'm going to ask the one that I'm wondering the most, which is when and where will the Black Irish be available? That's for, so, again from Bo. So the Black Irish is a cigar that we made. Uh, we, we made the Fomorian the first year of the DC tweet up. The second year we made the Fomorian, but we... Um, there was a charity auction where um, they, they were raising some money for, for kids. And we had always won like the most expensive charity item, you know, like the biggest gain or the biggest uh, bid. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we, we did the black Irish in order to kind of, you know, really come out of the, the pocket with that and, and um, surprise people. And then we started doing the black Irish every year, kind of just personally, for like the Jerry Herf and for the DC tweet up just for me to have a cigar to give people who were coming that, um, you know, that they couldn't buy. Um, Esteban went crazy and made like 2000 of them. And I just, (laughs) I, and they had been there for like a year. So I just needed the space and, um, and boxed them up and sent a hundred boxes to Mike, um, in Austin. And, you know, honestly, once they left here, I told Mike, do what you want with them. Um, so I have no idea where they went, when they're going. You know, I, I don't know, to be honest. So all the people who keep asking me this question, you, you guys can start blow up to Mike. blow up Mike. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe we'll uh, put them on. We'll put them on uh, on heat at the IPCPR, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll drop that question on him and see how he responds. Yeah, the um, you know, and and actually, you know, if if I was a cigar guy. Um, I would become really good friends with Koi because Koi's kind of has a lot more time than Mike has, and you could probably get a little, lot more insider information from Koi than you could get from Mike. But uh, um, the answer is I don't know where they are, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't know. Um, I don't think we've invoiced all of them, so I don't know what Mike's plans are for them. I do know that anytime you come to the factory, you can get one. And I know that anytime you see me, I have something on me that you've never smoked before. So if your weasel skills are uh, sufficient enough, um, you know, it it wasn't, it wasn't, it isn't nothing we make is out there to make people, you know, it's not like the, the monster series or the V, you know, whatever the VIA stuff, it's just something that I make at the factory and, in this example, um, it was something that we did before August 8th, so we could do it. You know, I could send them up there. Just like if you want a Wonderlust and you come by our headquarters in Austin, there's a, probably a good chance that there's some there. I'm not technically legal able to give you one, but if you were to somehow snatch one when I'm not looking. Um, <laughs> got to get, gotta get your weasel game on. Got to have a strong right. weasel game. Right. Back to you, Trippy. Uh, so the other one is actually with the Wanderlust. So Christopher Brown, 
has been hearing rumors that there's some Cuban tobacco in there. Uh, and he thinks it's not true. But do you care to tell us? Well, um, that's one of the cigars we don't really talk about, the filler. Um, if, so here's what I will say. If there wasn't Cuban, if there's not Cuban cigar in there, if there's not Cuban tobacco in there, and I tell you that there is, or hint that there is, I could be lying just to, mm-hmm. to make you to make you think that that there's something special about it. If if there is Cuban tobacco, and I just insisted that there wasn't, and I could be lying, and you you you, you see what I'm saying? It's yeah. like yeah. The cigar is what it is. What I will tell you is, is that probably 50% of the cigars out on the market don't contain what they tell you it contains anyway. And there will be a, as soon as there's a way to get Cuban tobacco into a U.S. cigar, um, there will be no shortage of these guys who will say, well, I I found this tobacco and I've been working with Cuban tobacco for, for, you know, years getting ready for this moment and, and, that's what makes it so great. It's like, okay, no one's getting Cuban wrapper, period. Yeah. Even the Cubans Most, aren't getting Cuban wrapper. <laughs> yeah. Most Cuban filler is not that differentiated. Um, what I will, I will say this. The, the, the best component of, for me, of, of the type of Cuban tobacco I would use if I was to use it, or the type of Cuban tobacco that we have used and things that we've made for private people. Um, the main thing I try to do with Cuban tobacco is to get the aroma from it. So it has very little, if in anything that I will ever make, it has very little to do with the flavor. So if you can take the cigar apart and you can look at the tobaccos and you're an expert in tobacco, then you can decide what's in it. Um, but other than that, you know, smoke it. And if it tastes good, um, that should be enough, right? My answer is much shorter than Skip's having smoked it. And I can say, smoke it. And if you know your tobaccos, you can figure it out pretty quick. That's my answer. <laughs> Trippy? Uh, I think that about ties it up for the audience questions. Let's talk about the, uh, can we talk about the Intemperance Whiskey Rebellion that you did with Dojo? Yeah, yeah. So that um, was an exciting project. Yeah. Yeah, so Whiskey Rebellion was a brand that I wanted to work into the portfolio, and I was going to make it. There was going to be a an existing Intemperance BA size that we were going to make as a limited size, like the Revenge or the Eight uh, Oskeet Skeet or the uh, Vanity. We were just going to make another kind of limited size that we that we branded Whiskey Rebellion for um, events. But then when we started working with it, I was like, you know, why kind of constrain myself with the blend of the BA, why don't we try to work on a new blend? And we had this blend that we wanted to make into a third intemperance um, brand. And we already had the, you know, we have intemperance BA 21, which is the 21st amendment. We have intemperance EC, which is the 18th amendment. And we wanted to do a new brand called intemperance WR 1794 for whiskey rebellion. Um, and at the same time, Dojo was, you know, asked us if, if we would be interested in participating in their annual cigar thing. And I said, you know, we don't really do those soft pack uh, bundles like you guys normally do, but I, are, I already have a blend that I'm really excited about. And, and around that same time, um, because it, it uses an Ecuador Habano 
that yields out of our uh, Aquatane Habano. So the real heavy Aquatane Habano that we buy, some of it is a little bit thinner and a little finer and a little uh, nicer, and we yield that out. And we we have been using it on projects like Abaddon and Palestania. But because we're making so many more Aquatane now, there's a whole lot more of that left over than we've ever had. And so I knew it couldn't be a whole a whole. I didn't want to go out and start to get a different kind of Ecuador Habano, but I wanted to make a brand that I could make and sell, you know, a hundred thousand again a year. That couldn't be a really big brand, but I wanted it to be something I could make consistently. And so at that time, we were starting to work with Famous. You know, our issue with Famous was we didn't make enough cigars to keep Famous happy. Um, because, you know, they would order 40 boxes of Cro-Magnon Cranium and then we would send them 10, you know. And so um, one of the things that we talked with Errol and Jim and, um, and um, you know, that team with was, hey, you guys do the distribution of the Dojo Project. Um, I talked to Eric uh, and those guys about doing our Whiskey Rebellion brand idea on Dojo. Why don't we do the same blend in other sizes and make it a, you know, a famous exclusive cigar. And so that's what we do. And man, it's, I assume it's selling really, really well because they order the maximum that they can order under the contract, uh, every, every year. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's been really successful. Nice. Drippy. Um, well, I just want to say Nick Malillo just started watching and just said word a couple times. Uh, I, I don't know what it was in response to. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a project that, that I wanted to, Nick and I have a project, um, every time we get together and start drinking, <laughs> we, we have the bands designed, we have the box designed, we have the, the blend pretty much narrowed down. We have the, um, you know, the fact that we want to work with each other and, and, and do a project out of Nick Asueno for, for Nick, um, um, but the FDA won't let us. So maybe Nick and I will make it and we'll sell it only sell in it Germany. Germany. <laughs> <laughs> With 50% of the boxes going to the States. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking brilliant. Uh, I don't know if Nick's still in your chat room, but he'll tell he you is. it's a, it's a brilliant idea. Uh, and of course it'll be a good cigar, you know, of course. Sorry. I'm, right. just, I'm just reading Nick's comments. It, it, it'll, it'll be more commercially <laughs> successful than no, Sotro, no Sotros. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm assuming, like, with the Intemperance uh, Whiskey Rebellion, uh, I'm assuming there's going to be plans to do similar projects like that as you sort of gain opportunities within the tobacco, within the factory, and those opportunities present itself. You know, talking about the Black Hours, talking about the Intemperance Whiskey Rebellion, that's part, like you were mentioning earlier, that's come from finding those um, those those opportunities within your processes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll always have cigars that I make for me and that I have on me that I may or may not hand to my friends as an, as a, as a, you know, not as a commercial sample, but as a, Hey, here's a cigar. There's always going to be cigars that you can like that, that you could probably find at our headquarters or at, or at, um, at the, um, factory. But, you know, for the most part, we work with, we work with, you know, dozens of types of varietals of tobacco from, you know, almost 10 countries. So, um, you know, for, for a brand or a factory, our size to be as diverse as we are, um, is, is pretty notable. Um, 
we work we work with a much larger variety of tobaccos and types of blends than than some factories that are five, 10, 20 times our size. So, um, you know, um, there's nothing in the FDA that prevents us from changing a blend. So, you know, let's say, for example, Connecticut outlawed the growing of tobacco and we could no longer get U.S. Connecticut broadleaf. Um, maybe we'd have to turn Cro-Magnon into some completely new blend. So, you know, there's always there's always those things out there where you still have to be um, on your toes and and um, aware of, you know, new things that are going on out there. Um, you know, this Muestra de Saka stuff that he's working on, there's all kinds of really cool, interesting stuff in that um, in terms of, you know, making cigars from one farm, trying to take strong tobaccos and make a mild cigar, you know, all kinds of things like that that are really cool um, just from the perspective of, you know, like going back to the, the beer analogy. Um, you know, who wants to just make American Pilsner? You know, um, if I own, if I own, and I may one day, <laughs> um, if I own, if I owned a brewery, um, you know, we would probably make sours and IPAs and stouts. And, and, you know, we found new hops, we would try new things. And, um, you know, that's just, that's, so yeah, well, the answer to your question is yes, we'll always be doing those things. And, uh, you know, Fortunately, we're very fortunate that the, our business model is set up and our core brands support us just being continuing to be really good at what we do. Um, and, um, you know, people in this business will tell you that's a lot harder than than you would think. So I've got, if my, go ahead. I've got a if, question if now if that you're talking about beer. If my if my faith, if my Facebook politics don't, uh, you know, <laughs> don't alienate over. Over. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I got a question about beer. So we have another our sharing our pairing show. We drink beer, we drink whiskey, we drink whatever whatever goes well with cigars. What's the best beer that you've had this year? This year? Yeah. Oh uh, well, we have about we have about I, I don't know. Have you been to our headquarters? I Andrew? haven't. If you, if you, yeah. In Austin, no. I almost went. Yeah, we but have there about, ended up being a bunch of stuff, and I couldn't make it. I think we have about six thousand um, beers. <laughs> Probably somewhere around twelve hundred different, um, you know, marks of oh, beer. Man. So there's there's things in our office that I haven't even tried yet. Um, I'm more of a heavy beer guy. Um, we got a keg of 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 a beer from Bell's that was new to me. Uh, the the double hearted, L- oh, which I know yeah. is, is not is not rare, but for for a lighter beer, it was something that I that I just enjoy. Um, you know, here in Nicaragua, Moro Potente is oh, um, yeah. kind of a, a new brand, and um, it's as close, I think, to craft beer as anything here. Um, in San Juan, there's a brewery that there's they, they there's a really good um, red ale that they make. Um, but I would say if if I had to say what was the best thing that I drank this year, it's probably um, Firestone's uh, Velvet Merkin Barrel Aged oh, yeah. was probably. One of the best, um, the the ten fifty bourbon barrel aged oh, and the, yeah. the tall can was great. Um, um, I mean, there's so many good. I mean, I mean, you know, there's a lot of average ones out there too. Uh, but just, I guess it's a lot like the cigar world. Yeah, it really is. It's everything. Yeah. Everything has like there's a certain level where everything's good, and then there's some things that just kind of peak above that, and then there's a lot of stuff way into that. Uh, but more yeah, potentially, we actually went there in March when we were in Nicaragua. 
John didn't go. It was too late. It was his bedtime. I think I think that yeah, was a I rough think, day. Um, yeah. You know, you know, beer is a lot. There's a lot more possibilities with beer. The reality with tobacco is, regardless of what you know, all of the poetic people who who make up their story to go with their brand um, tell you. You know, my friend Carlos Sanchez, uh, who's kind of half crazy, half drunk, and um, uh, whatever, always crazy, sometimes drunk. Um, he always says that there's no tobacco from Mars. And, you know, what he means by that is literally there's no tobacco from Mars, but also that there's no tobacco out there that, that, that none of us haven't tried. I mean, there's no such thing as some, you know, strain of tobacco that I'm going to be able to throw into a cigar and miraculously make, you know, something that tastes like, uh, you know, peach cobbler, the front side of a peach or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so the, uh, the, um, the, the, the thing about making cigars, in my opinion, is and it's not about having this super tuned palate. It's, you know, if you think about it in terms of sound, if, if I'm a person who can hear things that 98% of the other people can't hear and I'm composing music and it contains those things that no one else can hear, then what fucking good is it? Right. Yeah. Um, it's the same way. It's, it's the same way with tobacco. It's like if you have a palate that allows you to taste things that nobody else can taste, when you actually put it into a cigar and the average guy smokes it, he's not going to be able to he- taste that anyway. So it, it's like composing a, a, a symphony out of, out of frequencies that only dogs can hear, right? <laughs> um, so for me, you got to have a good palate. You don't have to be a super taster, but you have to have a good palate and a good memory and you have to spend a lot of hours a lot tens of thousands of hours becoming an expert on the tobaccos that you use and knowing what they're going to taste like you know looking at a raw leaf and knowing how it's going to be able to ferment properly and knowing the process to get it from a to z knowing you know what your sle lajero tastes like that you put into this blend and making sure that you understand if that changes and then how do you adapt to that? How different tobaccos work together. Um, just like food, you know, when you, some things you might like this, you might like this, but when you, you know, you might like pickles and you might like uh, peanut butter, but you're not necessarily going to eat pickles with peanut butter. You know, I don't know if that's a good example, but I mean, it's a terrible example because there's a burger place that's really big here in Portland. <laughs> they just opened a new location right down the street. They're like, their specialty is a burger with, Bacon, peanut butter, and pickles. Okay, how about pickles and orange juice? I don't know. That's yeah, better. Pickles and orange juice is better. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. So you know, most of most of what you hear from people, particularly people who I can tell you are not in Nicaragua a lot, if ever, uh, or in Dominican or wherever they fucking make their wherever they became, you know, wherever they're like, you know, like the story like the Mormon that went into the woods and Jesus talked to him, but nobody else ever heard it. A lot of these uh, cigar brands seem to have evolved the same way as the Book of Mormon, where you know they went into the woods and somebody spoke to them and gave them this magical blend with this tobacco no one ever heard of, and then whatever other bullshit smoke and mirrors they put around it. Um, the reality is, is that there are people out there, and I'm trying not to go. You know, this is like when old school rappers start talking about mumble rappers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm. I'm trying not to be that guy. I, I was actually. You know, it's funny because I was actually going to take it there because I was going to say like a lot of what you're talking about is what DJ Herc talks about, which is 
don't try to tell this other story. Don't talk about how great you are. Tell your story and make it your story. And if you focus on making it your story, it'll be great. But if you focus on talking about how much money you have or how great you are, how many girls you have, it's, it's just like everybody else. Well, yeah, there's that. And then also, you know, if, if you, if you, uh, wrote a song and, and I ask you, okay, so tell me where that lyric came from, where in your life did, what life experience led you to that lyric? Yeah. It's a, it's the same in tobacco, you know, I can, I guarantee you. And if Nick's still on, he could tell you the same thing that if you came up with a cigar that I make, and, and I'm not trying to ch- get someone to challenge me, but if you came up with a cigar that I make or that uses tobaccos that I use and you sat it in front of me, A, if I tasted it, I would know pretty much if it was my cigar or not, probably within a 98% certainty. Um, if you came up and showed me tobacco that is in one of my cigars, I can tell you what it is. And if it's the same as what I use, I could probably tell you the two or three places you can get it. Right. There are guys out there that have cigar brands that have all these stories about how they blended the cigar and how they come down here every six months and make sure that the person who makes millions of cigars is doing what they're supposed to do. Um, That if you opened up, if you knew what their blend was and you sat those four or five tobaccos on a table, some of them couldn't tell you Viso Seco Lajero apart and probably more than 80 percent of them couldn't identify those tobaccos varietals. That, that are in their own blend. And so, you know, it's a little bit frustrating to me because I spent so much time down here, you know, and, and it is a little bit of a sacrifice to be here all, all the time. Um, I, it is a little frustrating to me to, when I hear these stories, particularly when they say things that are not possible, but then when they say, when they say that the reason why their cigars are better is because of this thing that I know is not true. And then I think of the poor, you know, guy who's been doing this for 30 years uh, behind the scenes who who really is the guy who did that who gets zero of the credit luckily he doesn't speak english and he doesn't listen to the you know all these bullshit um <laughs> interviews but um you know I, I just wish for once when cigar aficionado gives the number one cigar to some fucking slap dick cuban guy whose grandfather was a tobacco pant plant and was selling real estate and used cars until about five years ago when he stands up to take his award for the number one cigar of the year, if he would thank the guy who actually fucking blended it, you know, copy that. End of I hear that. Copy that. <laughs> I want to, I want to talk a little bit about something that was kind of a fun project you did. And if anyone's been down to the factory, they've seen it firsthand um, where you took, because you, uh, I think we have this in common. You grew up with hip hop. I grew up with hip hop and it's a, it's a music that uh, kind of tells the story of my life a little bit, not, in the way that the hip hop artists do, but I, but I associate myself with that journey. And so you've taken some of the lyrics from songs that were influential to you and, and incorporated them into the factory. And, and, you know, it's just a reflection of your lifestyle there and your philosophies. Maybe talk a little bit about that for, for those who haven't visited the factory and probably should. So how is my lifestyle here relevant to hip hop? Is that the question? No, I just want to talk about all the, all how you incorporated that into the factory. Um, I listen to hip hop all day in the factory when I'm here. So um, I think some people like it. Some people annoys the shit out of them and they have their own headphones and ignore it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you know, um, obviously I'm not black. I don't think, um, I mean, I could start listening to all the hip hop guys like the Beastie Boys and, you know, Eminem and other guys who, you know, Eminem was just poor white trash from a trailer park and, 
you know, hip hop was the way that he, um, you know, was able to, I guess, relate and, and, you know, turn what he was feeling into, into, you know, an art. So, um, I'm not a rapper, I'm not a, a hip hop guy, but, you know, I, I grew up really poor and, um, you know, I didn't grow up in, you know, like a boys in the hood, but I, I grew up, I, I, w- I was at times at schools where my nephew and I were the only white kids there. So, um, you know, I was surrounded by that culture and, um, and, you know, kind of all the way through the Navy. And, uh, I don't know, it's like, you know, it's like religion or which political party you vote for or what kind of music you listen to is a lot has to do with just, you know, how you were socialized, uh, when you're young. And, I was socialized around hip hop. I mean, if you think about the the modern hip hop movement, it's basically my life. You know, it's my lifetime. Um, you know, when I actually really started listening to music was you know the late seventies. You know, I was six, seven, eight years old, and that's when you know whether you're talking about Blondie's Rapture or um, you know that stuff. You can go and listen to, you know, like you were saying, the Cigar Jukebox piece we did on Tribe Called Quest. You know, I kind of talk about my whole kind of awakening to hip hop. But, you know, I listen to all kinds of music. I don't listen to like electronica or club music, but I listen to country music. I listen to because um, I grew up in Texas. So um, but, you know, old school hip hop for me is is where it's at. You know, and, you know, Prodigy just died. Um, he was a, you know, part of Mob Deep, which yep. is an East Coast um hip hop, you know, art artists and, um, you know, he, he's kind of my age five from tribe died last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, he's kind of my age. And so, um, you know, these guys, when they were 18, 20 years old, when I was 18, 20 years old, they were my age and they were talking about the things that I had experienced, you know, in the, in the eighties and, uh, and, you know, later on, they're talking about the things that I had experienced in the 90s and in 2000s. And so, um, you know, I think being around poverty, being down here, kind of in the in, in La Lucha, as they say, in the, in the fight, um, you know, kind of everything is a Lucha, you know. Um, being poor is a lot easier here than it is in, in the States, I think, because it's just a different culture. But still being poor anywhere sucks. And um you know, I think if uh, if it translated, I think hip hop would be huge in in um, down here because, yeah. it you know, when you live the way, you know, I live here, simple, you know, um, fortunately, there's not a lot of crime here. There's a lot, a lot, not a lot of drugs here. And um, those aspects are out. But when you're talking about just, you know, single growing up with a single mom or or, uh, you know, witness, witnessing domestic violence or, you know, wondering where you're, you're going to get lunch or, you know, sewing shit onto your shirt. So it, it seems you're having a fake uh, polo because, you know, you want to be fly, but, you know, you, you, ain't, you ain't got the budget for it. Um, all those things, you know, you can, you know, most people here and definitely me growing up, I could relate to it. So um, I don't know. That's that's why hip hop hip hop appeals to me. Yeah. Um, in terms of how it, how, it, how it relates to factory is, I think, you know, we just keep it, you know, we keep it real. It's about the craft. It's about the, it's about doing shit that you, you can be proud of and, and not, you know, unlike new, newer hip hop, it's not about talking about how great you are or making up some bullshit story. So, um, 
I don't know. I post some heavy metal every now and then for, for those guys too. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the IPCPR sent out an interesting question. I want to, I want to get your take on it because we've been asking some of our guests on cigar chat. So they, they essentially sent out a poll about, um, because the, you know, future, the future location, of the IPCPR is unknown a little bit. Um, it's been in Vegas, it's been in Orlando, it's been in a, a number of different places. First of all, for you, what's been your favorite place to have the IPCPR? And secondly, you know, if you could choose a place within the continent of the United States, where do you think the ideal location for the IPCPR would be? I don't know. I mean, I've been to IPCPRs in a, in a lot of towns. I've been, my first one was in Opryland. Uh, I went with a, with a media guy. Uh, that was a long time ago. Um, you know, Nashville, um, I've done Orlando recently since I've been in the business, I've done Orlando, New Orleans, uh, Houston, Las Vegas. Um, you know, really, really, it doesn't matter to me where it's at. I think Las Vegas is as good a place as any, um, New Orleans is, is a little bit kind of the roughest probably, um, to me, it doesn't matter where the show is at. To to me, a bigger the bigger question is: Look, if they could figure out how to have it in Las Vegas every year, year after year, it would make a whole lot of things easy, easier. In terms, you wouldn't have to move your booth around. Um, you could make your reservations a year in advance. A lot of those things. Um, the if people can figure out this year how to get from the venue of the of because I think people are going to be a lot more spread out than they used to be. Yeah, we 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 already had our we already had our. Uh, our rooms booked at the Venetian and, um, or I probably would have stayed at the Encore. Um, and our hospitality suite is in the Venetian because the Encore doesn't really have a place like where, where you know, we, where you can throw that kind of party. Yeah. So, um, you know, Vegas is fine with me. I, I think the real question is, is you've got to figure out the IPCPR, which to me is extremely important to our industry, particularly right now needs to figure out how to make coming to IPCPR, um, a value-added experience for retailers. In a lot of ways, it already is, and retail, a lot of retailers are just too stupid to realize it. Um, if for no other reason, if you're a retailer, getting out of your shop and getting to a place where all you think about all week is your business, but not the, the daily transactional stuff, but the big idea strategy stuff, and you can get re-engaged and, and re-excited about the business that you're in, that translates into your business is going to be better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, the, the thing is, there's a whole lot of retailers who just don't give a shit about cigars anymore. Yeah. They might as well be, they might as well be selling fucking, you know, cheap plastic dancing Chinese flowers or something, or, you know, Billy big mouth bass plaques or something. Um, and those guys are going out of business at the end of the day. Those guys will not be in business. The, the, the world is moving to a point where, there is no place for those guys anymore. So um, maybe IPCPR needs to be smaller. Maybe it needs to be more like what it was 20 years ago, where it wasn't about these monolithic booths and, and, and all of that. Maybe it needs to be more about just the fellowship and, and the relationships. Because Mike and I – IPCPR is expensive, but Mike and I can buy uh, some tickets to go to, to Las Vegas, and we can meet with 100 or 200 of our customers – that we would have had to have bought bought eighty plane tickets to go visit. Yeah. yeah. You know. So for me, even if I don't sell anything, which we will, 
Um, most of anything we sell probably won't even ship till January because all of the stuff we're going to be sending to the states between now and de- December is already kind of already ordered probably. Um, but it's it's more important about Mike and I getting together for a week with all of our staff. It's about you know rehoning our message. It's about getting excited about the cigar business and and reconfirming these relationships of people we only see once or twice a year. And um, but if no retailers show up, um, then you know we're better off just having an event in Austin. And and spending our eighty five hundred thousand dollars paying for people we want to come to come to Austin, you know, uh, you know, at that point, if if retailers, if the IPSBR can't convince retailers to come to wherever it is, um, then we'll we'll build an event that convinces the people we want to talk to, to to get all the things that we get out of IPCPAR. We have the facility for it, so. We'll just come feed them barbecue, listen to some live music, drink some craft beer and smoke some cigars and and um, we'll do it ourselves. So um, I, I hope people get get away from this idea that, well, if there's no discounts, I'm not coming to the trade show. So we'll see this year. I you know, we're going to be busy either way, just by the nature of our size. Uh, we're going to be busy. Um and the types of customers that we deal with are not the types of customers who sit and moan, piss and moan on a stool from behind their counter where they never move. So um, we're going to be busy. But, you know, anecdotally, there are a lot more of our customers have dis- who have said that they're not coming than ever before. And there are people who were going to spend the money to have a booth who are just going to leave their booth empty they, they're going to pay for their booth and just not and just not show up um so it'll be interesting when we get there um it'll be interesting to see how it goes um for me at the end of the day i'm trying to try to focus on what's going on for us and and um secondarily focus on you know what what's going on in the industry because you know the battle that ipspr is fighting for us is extremely important and you know it's not our place to give money to cra it's not my desire or mike's desire to give money to give to a pack so that the pack gives money to politicians on both sides and that bullshit but you know we we are actively engaged in contributing specifically to the legal fight because we believe that that is one of the most important kind of possibilities of, of keeping us going so um a lot of that money for that legal battle comes from the trade show nice trippy comments questions feedback uh, dave burke says move it to brisbane <laughs> fuck that uh-huh. everything everything would have to be wrapped in brown paper yeah exactly. <laughs> and, we, and, and it would be taxed by weight and so you know anything where you have to pay more by weight i'm an automatic loser in that situation yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we're we're obviously very much looking forward to the IPCPR. Uh, we're going a little big this year, which we've never done in the past. So uh, check your email because we're going to have a, a bit of a, a shindig, a soiree, as they say, because uh, we're we're kind of blowing it out uh, this year. I think much more than than any other year in the past for sure. Look, man, uh, if anyone lives in 
within a you know a, a two hundred dollar airplane flight from 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 the trade show, um, you know they should come out the second to the last you know this you know the three nights in the middle, and you know consumers whoever if they want to come to our hospitality party they're they're welcome to come. Just uh, get in contact with Mike and I, and if we recognize you and know who you are, uh, we'll get make sure you get a ticket to come in. And um, our hospitality parties, you know. With the Stogie Review guys, we did a party in New Orleans, I think, uh, about 11 years ago, or, or, or no, nine years ago. Yeah, nine years ago. The, the tweet up. And, um, man, that's a, <laughs> getting old. <laughs> um, and then we did it again the year after that, the BOTL uh, tweet up uh, in, um, at the trade show in New Orleans. And so, um, you know, I'm all about just getting together you know, separate from all the, uh, whatever, and just drinking a beer. And uh, we got a, uh, I forgot to even mention this as expensive as this guy is. Um, (laughs) I, I should have, I should have said this five times by now. Um, a guy who knows a guy who knows Nas has a friend who's a DJ in Vegas. And, um, um, We've got a really good world class DJ playing our little bitty house party. So Yeah, that sounds dope. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be off the hook, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll be twerking and You know. might be. I won't You might be I don't have enough to twerk. I I can't make that work. I'm a schmedium all day long. I got nothing to twerk, unfortunately. Any uh any final uh questions, comments there, Trippy? Uh no. We got a lot of comments. Um most of them are just shout outs to shout outs to Skip and agreeing with everything he says. No, not everything. <laughs> well, if that's true, it's the people who are op- watching agree with if, you. If that's true, it's completely opposite than from my Facebook experience. So that's right. Um, so if there are any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. But uh, you know, afterwards, if you guys want to send anything out, I can. Uh, you, I'm always on Facebook, so feel free to ask me there as well. Absolutely. Well, Skip, we're obviously very much looking forward to uh, catching up with you guys at the IPCPR. Um, it's it's a working trade show, but as you said, you know it's a great opportunity for us to catch up with a lot of people who we call friends. Uh, we don't have a lot of those opportunities throughout the year, and with everyone in one place, um, you know it's it's kind of the event that we look forward to every year. And so we're very much looking forward to seeing you and catching up with all your guys at the uh, at the trade show for sure. Cool, man. You may not recognize Mike. Apparently, he's lost like sixty pounds. So oh, damn. He's Good on the him. Jenny Craig. He's on the Jenny Craig diet or something. So Mike's not going to be twerking either, is what you're saying? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I know we were talking last week about how Omar had the dance moves, dude. Mike's got some dance moves too. Mike's got. Mike's definitely got the dance moves. All right. Well, I, I think I think there's a dance challenge. Then we have to see his moves. If the DJ's <laughs> playing, Mike's got to. You know, I don't know if he's going to do some some old school breakdance moves, but I got to see some moves before the night's out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Skippy. We appreciate thanks it. Thanks for joining. And uh, we know this yeah. is a busy time for you. We appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. We'll try and not make it another four years. The next time we have you on the show, we'll try and uh, have you uh, post up PCPR and kind of talk about the show and talk about, you know, what the rest of 27 is going to bring. And uh, really appreciate you taking your time. Anytime, guys. Thanks, brother. And uh, as we say on Cigar Chat, we're kind of going into a big weekend here. It's Canada Day on Saturday, so happy Canada Day to all of our Canadian listeners. And, of course, I'd be remiss to not say happy 4th of July coming up next week right after 
Uh, that'll be a great party, great event, great celebration of the States. Uh, it's 150 years for Canada, which doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, it's kind of a big deal for us. So uh, thanks to everyone who's tuned in live. Thanks to everyone who's participated in our questions and comments and feedback. We'll be back next week. We won't have a guest. We'll be talking IPCBR coverage and kind of what our expectations are at a regular time of 8 p.m. Eastern. Of course, we're going to have Sharing Our Pairings on Wednesday with a old but regular member of Sharing Our Pairings on Wednesday. So you don't want to miss that one. That'll be a good show as we lead up to our coverage. And, of course, make sure to tune into our live, uh, semi-live coverage of the IPCBR. We're going to be blasting out those videos every day. So check out our channel. And thanks again, Skip, for being on Another Cigar Chat. Everyone stay safe and have a fantastic weekend.